0: I'm Janine Strong, and you're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life podcast. Dr. Michael Smith is with us again to talk about the existential crisis of our children. My previous conversations with Michael have been extremely informative, but with a good dose of humor. So I'm quite sure today's conversation will also be interesting and enjoyable. Dr. Smith applies the combination of functional medicine and evolutionary nutrition with the wisdom and experience of traditional Chinese medicine to his healing practice. This combination of traditions helps him understand and respond to some of today's most complex health challenges in a very comprehensive and effective way. Dr. Smith calls himself the autoimmune health detective. Hi, Michael. Thank you for taking time to come on the podcast again.
1: Hello, Janine. It's uh, great to be back. I'm looking forward to another fun and informative conversation.
0: <laughs> Me too. Well, I really enjoyed our last conversation on neuroplasticity. And I, I believe it was after our conversation we got into a, a chat about today's kids and all the screen time and, and you know, what's, what's happening with kids today. And I thought, well, since the lockdown and the uncertainty of the future, it's kind of exacerbated our kids' challenges, and I thought now would be a really good time to have this conversation.
1: It sure is.
0: So how did you, I know, I know you've done a lot of research on this, and um, how did you become interested in, in really digging down into, into this?
1: Uh, I would say the first real impulse was being a parent. And trying to make uh, educated, informed decisions about, uh, I guess, just how to raise your child in the 21st century. So uh, that's, that. That's I think, the biggest inspiration for me is to make sure over the last 20 years since my son was born, uh, that we're, we're on top of the best possible decisions uh, and choices and environments and... Uh, behaviors because you know we're all kind of making this up as we go it's a new mm-hmm. world it's a new century it's a new millennia so <laughs> I think as as parents or as teachers um, that you know we we all hopefully are taking a really thorough sense of responsibility for the experiment of you know the modern world and screens are a massive part of, of that transition for everyone
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it's a big part of how we educate people it's our fundamental form of entertainment. And uh, nowadays, and I mean this with a bit of humor, but you know, also, I guess, with a bit of warning, it's become kind of the nanny babysitter. I'm mm. busy right now. I'll be back in 15 minutes after I make supper. Um, quick solve for parents or teachers or uh, other people working with children. So uh, there's pluses and minuses to everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the more we're all willing, I guess, to be patient enough to figure this out together, to be more informed, to be more curious. Uh, I don't know everything or (laughs) that much at all, really, uh, in the sense of some echoing sense of knowing. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: uh, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe in the next decade, on many levels, our culture is going to come to uh, at least a a clear sense of what balance would look like and what long term health would look like, because we're all, in a way, lab rats and, and we're also, in a way, the scientists, you know, doing the experiment. So it's it's going to mm-hmm. be an interesting thing to unravel. And I think the more informed we are uh, about the possibilities and and the dangers, the the better that experiment will go. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree completely. And you know, I've talked to so many parents who all of I, everybody is just is concerned about the amount of screen time their kids are on and and how difficult it is to get them off. and just to get them doing something. I don't know how many times, like you know, I have two step kids that are teenagers. And, you know, they'll put uh, maybe like a bagel in the toaster oven or something. And they run back upstairs to the computer, you know, <laughs> and then the bagel. See, they're
1: getting exercised. They're running. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then <laughs> like two hours later, they remember their bagel. It's like all hardened. Oh, God, I wouldn't even eat it that way. But it's like they, they can't tear themselves away. You know, the, the addictive properties of especially the gaming it seems to be, you know, that's, that's hard to drop. And I don't know. I mean, I can do something on the computer and I can go do something else and come back. And, you know, even if I'm watching something on Netflix, I can stop it and go do something else and come back. But they don't seem to have that ability that I can so, see.
1: Well, can I shift what that's about? Sure. Bit? So I'm in my 50s. I think mm-hmm. you're a bit older than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, how fast is time going by for you?:
0: Pretty fast
1: <laughs> Right. And I'm just throwing this out there because okay. our subjective experience of time speeds up because of how much our life has already been experienced compared to the volume of experience we just thought about. Like, oh, well, the last week just flew right by, and it's like well you're uh, if you're in your fifties, a week is you know one very small percentage of your entire existence. True. If you're a child. And someone says, oh, that was a long or a really fast week. And the kid's going, are you kidding, man? It felt like 20 years. Interesting. Okay. Because kids' subjective experience of one week was actually, you know, a pretty big part of, relatively speaking, the volume of my conscious existence as a person. Mm-hmm. So if we were to look at that and go, that's an actual measurable thing. The amount of time you subjectively you relate to your life depends on how long you've been alive and, and how fast it seems, right?
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's
1: it's like kind of like weighing something out. So how many years of your life have you spent really uh, in, engaged with the internet?
0: Oh, not that many.
1: It came out, I think, in 92. It became kind of a thing around 94, 95, where people started to really like, engage with email, and I think it was 2009 that uh, social media really took over, so... Mm-hmm you know for all of us the maximum possibility is about 25 years
2: mhm mhm
0: and for those of us who are older it's not i mean it seems like for the younger generation it's it's a huge percentage of well, it's been their their, life. their
1: entire life mm-hmm. and that's my point is mm-hmm. is as people who are older we we have no right to have an opinion about how people relate to something that's ubiquitous, ubiquitous to their existence and we keep telling them that it's wrong or bad or that they're doing it wrong or bad. Mm-hmm. That's like saying you're using your drinking water wrong. You know, you, 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 you've you been using your toilet wrong. <laughs> right? Because it, it's just a part of their <laughs> environment, right? Because for us, it's this new thing that we're still negotiating with and can have a range of responses and feelings about. For everybody else, it's another room in your house that's always been there and it's probably the most interesting one especially if you're trying to solve a problem
2: Mm -hmm.
1: or you're curious or you're bored or you're lonely or you're not getting your needs met because your parents are drunk or they're working or they're, um, you know, depressed and can't really pay attention to you or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that room in the house is the biggest room in their life.
0: Now this is, I'm, this is an interesting perspective because I hadn't thought of this
1: so yeah, I'm I want to start the conversation just quickly, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I have no right to be having this conversation. I have no right to tell people under 30 years old how to figure this out. Mm. What I would love to be able to do is educate everybody 30 years old and uh, younger and 30 years old and older, what's actually going on from a clinical, scientific, physiological, neurological perspective so that we can all meet where it matters. Because awesome. I, I, have, I have no right to tell people who've lived an entirely different existence. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the bush without, a t- without electricity,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like mm-hmm. no radio, no TV, no cities, no traffic lights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me, moving to a city was like moving to an alien world. Sure. Right. Yep. So I'm just saying I'm very personally aware of the difference between what we expect our lives to look like uh, based on our experience, you know, and how hard it is to adapt to change.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you just made a good point. Expectations.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, expectations are a really big phenomena in relationship. So, again, as you said, you know, you could project your expectation uh, of your ch- your children, your stepchildren's relationship with screens in the internet based on your experience. But if that's allowed to be, then it should be allowed that they can project onto you their expectation that you get it. And for <laughs> them getting it is that the internet is sort of like God now. And you're kind of like in between you, th- the person who you're talking to and the actual truth, the actual source of information, the actual source of pleasure and fun. So uh, we can't get it because we didn't live it the same way children today have.
2: Mm-hmm. True, true.
1: So that, that's my quick caveat is I don't have a right to really be saying this to, to people in the sense of um, giving any parent a sense of authority to tell your children how to think about this. Because we need to collaborate with people who look at the world through a different lens mm-hmm. and, and find the best possible way Sometimes without words to engage in in our relationships with people that's got to do with their lives more than our expectations of them.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I stand corrected. I can tell I'm going to learn a lot here because <laughs> this has been very difficult for me. And... It's
1: it's a, every every decade over 30 is a decade or is another layer of uh, disorientation to communicating with people who live as a participant with the, the internet, you know, collective reality. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's a, the first thing I would encourage anyone is what's your age and take a step back and accept if you can, that your age determines your perspective on this mm-hmm. and your experience with this. And all experience is fundamentally equal.
0: Interesting. No wonder it's so much harder for me than it is for my husband. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's a lot younger.
1: And I mean, I, I personally know people that are ten years older than me that are like Jedi black belts with their phone and the internet because they've decided to dive into it and have it all figured out. I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm I'm literally this week trying to get an online scheduling app to work on my website for my clinic. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really depends on how much each of us invests in this. Mm-hmm. But children, you know, uh, you know, twenty, thirty, you know, in, in, anything significantly under thirty. Their relationship with this is that's how you solve problems. It's not a problem to solve. Mm. People my age, the internet's a problem to solve. Right. For a lot of younger people, the internet's how you solve problems.
0: Interesting. Hmm. Okay. All
1: right. So, so again, uh, as parents with children, um, especially, you know, teenage children, older children, um, Well, I think we just need to recognize our experience and their experience are equal. And if we're going to collaborate with them, we have to find a way to do it with respect to their experience. When we're talking about children, say under 12, Mm -hmm. uh, we have a very different relationship because everybody around a child under 12 is in a way loco parentis or responsible for kind of how good or bad things go.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So, so that's where I think as parents, caregivers, teachers, um, Preschool places, day school places or uh, daycare places, um, you know, babysitters, whatever. We we really need to kind of make an agreement, you know, uh, as to what what's going on fundamentally and what the best choices are for our kids and to find ways to make that sensible. Mm-hmm. And something something that actually can be explained to them in a way that they can go, oh, OK, well, you know, I, I, I understand that.
0: So what is going
1: on? Where would you like to start? That's that's a, <laughs> that's a textbook or two of possibilities.
0: You know, I'll let you choose because um, you're the one with the information, and I'll I'll help to clarify or you know ask questions or make comments. But I'm really fascinated because you know I haven't I haven't studied this too much. I mean, I have some you know like on the effects that the screen time has on your brain and and different things, but I haven't really delved in it. Um, too much. And uh, I'm I'm really curious as to what, you know, what you found.
1: So I'll, I'll start that by saying there's two different kinds of screen time. Okay. One is proactive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to find the phone number for something or uh, COVID-19 pandemic has made me a homeschooling kid, even if I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there's a period of time every day I have to be in front of a screen to, you know, push buttons to get through school. Mm -hmm. So that's proactive or problem solving or the focus is on, uh, I guess, a sequence of things that are meant to solve something in the future or or keep things moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And most of us as adults, as older we get, the proportion of our relationship with screens and the internet is proactive because we just want to look something up and move on. And get off, (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. <clears throat> well, for some people, it's like ooh, yeah. Other people, I was like, well, that was fun. And how did I end up with twenty-seven tabs open on my, you know, uh, interaction with the computer? Because I, I, I wanted to figure out how to make Turkish coffee, and somehow I ended up with Turkish hash. And now I'm looking at the, uh, you know, prison behavior of Russia. So ah, you know. So we, we all we all know what scrolling and sort of, uh, you know, fiddling around on the internet looks like, you know. And that's sort of in the, in the middle ground. Mm-hmm. But then there's this other thing called reactive screen time Okay. where my environment, my present situation, my internal present situations – so that's three different elements of the same moment uh, – are not comfortable or they feel dangerous or mm-hmm. I feel socially uh, – harmed in some way or left out or that i don't belong or i don't fit in or i haven't been fed and i'm hungry and i need to soothe myself or uh, for the last 5 days because my parents are fighting over their divorce i've been sort of shuffled off into my room by myself staring at someone's you know screen of whatever kind could be a phone or a, a tablet or you know whatever it would be the adaptive experience is i'd rather be doing this than anything else because everything else is bad mm mm-hmm or mm-hmm. is not conducive to, to my sense of well-being or my sense of enjoyment or my sense of comfort. And I mean, that's, that's a lot lot of range there. Mm-hmm. But reactive screen time is, is what's called a compensatory behavior. You're doing it to not have a different experience instead of solve a problem so you can have another experience. Right. Proactive is, I need to look up the phone number of my hairdresser because I can finally go and get a haircut again. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Yay! I forgot their number. It's been so long.
0: <laughs> right well yeah exactly well and a therapist said that um, a lot of the the being on the 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 computer so much is what did she say it it's a way to handle the anxiety
1: yeah so i mean we all have anxiety as humans and nowadays we have reasons to be you know even even more kind of I guess wound up or freaked out. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: uh, I guess the thing is, is to make a distinction as individuals, is your screen time mostly proactive or mostly reactive? And Mm -hmm. there's no judge in the world who's going to shame anyone for this. This is a chance to be honest about how we manage our our existence in a way. So uh, as parents or as individuals, that's our relationship with our use. As parents or individuals who care for children in some way, Our job is, I think, at first, to make a distinction between the proactive use of of a utility like the internet and the reactive use of something that has multiple layers of an adaptive hold on your brain and your central nervous system and some very deep, primitive aspects of human connection and and other needs uh, that we'll get into that is no different than a person hiding in the laundry room, drinking vodka that they have hidden behind the, the basket of sheets. Mm, mm-hmm. so it's a compensatory, avoiding a negative with something that is biochemically and physiologically soothing. But I question the benefit of any kind of compensatory reactive behavior because it's the same mechanism as all harmful addiction.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How does it become addictive?
1: To, well, addiction is about pain. Right,
0: right.
1: So we can all talk about melatonin and <clears throat> um, dopamine and other biochemical factors that have some, I guess, feet in the pond of addiction or addictive compensatory behavior. But to understand addiction, you have to understand what um, non-mechanical pain is about. Okay.
0: Okay. So non-mechanical. So mechanical, you're talking like physical pain. you
1: yeah, like oh my Twisted god, your you got a or... foot, or you got mm-hmm. a, you know, a pair of scissors stuck in your forearm for some reason. So, <laughs> ow. <laughs> you know, whereas you know, and I'm mean, here. Here, here's like a an environmental metaphor. Here's a child, boy or girl. Here's a parent, boy or girl. Single parent, single child, single parent maybe has some form of uh, what what we might call existential pain, and they're self-soothing with the internet. The child's learning to self-soothe with the internet. The child has instinctual needs to be met, uh, which I'll get into in a sec. And the parent is saying, can you just go to your room and give me 15 minutes because I just need to be with me right now. Mm -hmm. So that child is being basically modeled into the addictive behavior of using a screen to soothe yourself.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So I think first step is... as again, people who are, you know, wanting to make better decisions is we we have to make sure we're clear that we're modeling the, I guess, answer or solution we want for our kids before we even bring up the subject, because they're learning from us subconsciously and consciously on levels that uh, we should all be more aware of. And I'm going to speak to that in a moment.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, before we do get into that, what is your definition
1: of existential? Well, that's going kind to of come up in about four minutes, if that's okay. okay. yep, fine. Cool, just, yeah, I just, there's sort of a way to roll this out, because it has to do with how we, we understand the brain a bit. Okay. So let's say that all human beings are actually living three different experiential lives. Hmm. Okay. Um, so as a Qigong teacher, we often talk to people about our three Dantian, or they're kind of like chakras. There are three different sort of... Uh, places within ourselves that hopefully we can cultivate a kind of adaptive advantage or spiritual credibility or whatever you want to think Mm -hmm. about that that makes us feel like we're kind of progressing in a way right so that's just Mm -hmm. to give people a mental image because Mm -hmm. one way we experience our lives and i'm not going to go back to the Taoist qigong thing it's just kind of a mental image for people has to do with your instinctual needs as an animal so we, I mean, we can all think like food, rest, uh, physical safety, environmental safety, like you know, shelter and uh, heat and things like that. That covers, uh, I mean, an office, obvious, raw aspect of instinctual behavior. The physical safety also includes a lack of physical threat. So right. mm-hmm. par- parenting style matters around how children instinctually experience the world and grow into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you're thinking about how your childhood went in the mm-hmm. sense of trauma, or if you're thinking about what a child's experience is like as they grow up in your care, or maybe it's your cousin's kid or something, I encourage everyone I speak to about this stuff to to begin with, okay, let's just look at the life of that person's life or your child's life, and how are how are they adapting to the world instinctually, and, and how are you supporting that, uh, and or consciously or unconsciously thwarting that?
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: And, and this, this is a tricky thing, and, and, yeah. and it'll make more sense in a bit, but the experience you have instinctually, say your parenting style is to throw shoes at your kid's head when you don't like what they're doing, mm-hmm. bad example, but mm-hmm. obvious. Mm-hmm. So when a person has a shoe thrown at their head, mm-hmm. the nervous system that can actually make you duck... Mm-hmm. It is an experience that you actually have about two tenths of a second before the part of your brain that has language. Okay. So that's maybe a seem like an abstract thing, but think of that as, um, I don't know, think of that like a horse, mm-hmm. right? So there's a part of you that's an instinctual animal, like a horse, mm-hmm. and the horse knows how to duck from shoes really, really well because it's an instinctual animal. Okay. But the part of you that has opinions, that has self-reflection, that has self-regulation, that wants to negotiate and calibrate with the people around you, and again, the metaphor we're unfortunately using is a parent throwing a shoe at their kid's head.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That child is now instinctually in an environment of threat and potential harm. So now they're a horse and on the instinctual level, that's very skittish and like to, likely to kick at things or chew on the hay more or to scratch away at themselves in some way nervously to deal with the fact they're in a kind of existential instinctual pain because they're living in an environment that the universe has told them is supposed to be the safest place in the world. And it's full of shoes flying.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Right? So... If we go up a few inches to kind of around your solar plexus, um, and that's a physiological, neurological center of, of your body, which mm-hmm. I'll come back to. Okay. That's where you intuitively, uh, and I don't mean that in a woo-woo sense, it's actually a scientific a structure of human communication called neuroception. Okay. So we all communicate very subtly through body language and tone of voice and facial expression mm-hmm. through this neuroceptive uh kind of communication throw shoes at someone's head because you can be a passive aggressive manipulative communicator to your child in some way that makes them know that they're not going to get their needs met right now because of the way you're communicating to them so now on a social intuitive visceral level of existence you're in an environment that's potentially harmful when it's supposed to be the safest place on earth Mm -hmm. that information sitting on the horse that's already skittish okay that experience and information happens inside your brain one-tenth of a second before the part of you that has language hmm interesting so for the part of you that's actually the existential part of you the part of you that you might call your upper chakra or your brain the part with language uh, i often use the term binoculars the part of our mind that we use to solve problems by uh, being predictive and projecting into the future the part that we need language and math to solve problems for Mm -hmm. that's that Those binoculars are basically in the hands of a human being called a cowboy or cowgirl sitting on a horse, and the horse is freaking out, Mm. and the cow person is freaking out. Mm -hmm. So what do you think they're doing with their binoculars?
0: Uh, Looking out for uh, something negative?
1: They're trying to look at something that gives them a sense that there is a safe place in the universe, Uh, Okay. Okay. or to have the experience that they're in a safe place. Mm Mm-hmm. So if I can go online at three years old and and watch birds flop around and maybe try and steer them through an obstacle course or whatever it is that interface screen games for really young kids would be Mm – that's a predictive experience. I know I pick it up, I turn it on, the weird music plays, I do a certain thing and I can predict the outcome, which is I'm self soothing and I'm uh, feeling successful or confident because I got to the next level, I got a prize or you know, whatever the, the mechanism mm-hmm. is of the game. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really important distinction to make because the question was, what's, what is existential pain? Mm-hmm. It's a combination of the how wound up your instinctual body is based on the volume of trauma you experience in that environment mm. to your safety
0: say would you say that again, please
1: So existential pain is a combination of your your instinctual pain mm-hmm. right your lack of safety or your, your concern around harm to get instinctual needs met okay. plus your visceral neuroceptive uh, social pain at knowing that you and your parent don't get along clearly because they're telling you to go screw off right now because they'd rather look at the screen themselves alone. Mm-hmm. So the, the solve to the world seems to be look at screens alone. So you go to your room and operate on that, that you know, that, that habit uh, or, or that deference from, you know, your parent or caregiver. And now you're doing the thing you needed to do, which is feel safe feel collaborative, feel connective, feel like you're in progress of some kind, mm. Mm. right? So existential pain, which is the source of all addiction, and I mean, I, mm-hmm. I work with trauma and addiction in, in, in my practice a bit, the problem is, is it's helping people go back to, to figure out where the pain came from so that they can work with that. Because the alcohol, the misuse of cannabis, the misuse of pharmaceuticals, the misuse of whatever, is to soothe that pain the same way a three-year-old stuck in the room by themselves is scrolling through a screen. Because they, they have fundamental, we all have fundamental needs to, to solve problems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and chronic three-part Pain uh, is the biggest problem we all face in the modern world because we're living so far away from what we used to for you know the last ten thousand years and then the last you know say six uh, two hundred thousand years. So as human beings that have been pretty much the same you know animal if you will for two hundred thousand years, we're twenty years into an experiment where our reactive compensatory response is screens, adults, mm-hmm. children, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. So until we can you know, as a society come up with a much better way to understand this and to balance it out, we're basically becoming a society of addicts.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: I would agree. And the reason I brought up all that stuff about the instinctual part, the intuitive part uh, or social part and and the more existential part is that's where the solutions lie.
2: Mm. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Because we okay. all know, I think, that if you give any person, especially a child, a bunch of screens to deal with, as you know, for adults it might be our job, but it's also maybe our entertainment. Sitting is the new smoking and now it's a full time job. So
0: have you in your travels and, and and working with people in your research, does have you found that all of this addictive scre- screen time does as people travel you know, get older and travel through life, are they, do they kind of stick with that addiction or does it translate into alcohol, drugs, gambling, whatever?
1: That I think that's my fundamental point, Janine, is we have a bunch of children in our society that are living in environments that are modeling addictive behavior.
2: Mm-hmm. So they don't
1: have any other you know, choice to to predict. Oh, like, and I mean, that's what the mind does: is it predicts outcomes. Right. So the only predictive choice is how to use screens to control your experience. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't work, or there's more, um, you get numb to it. So let's say you're 25 years old, you're finished university, and now you have a full time job, and you're an engineer, and you're drafting things all day on AutoCAD, which is a drafting program. Mm-hmm. And your, your screen time is no longer your play time. Mm-hmm. And then you go home and you try and play your video game, but you're not really getting the same dopamine kind of fun from it because you just spent all day solving, you know, instinctual level and visceral level problems for your job mm-hmm. uh, on a screen. Maybe a screen plus uh, an upper or a downer would be the way to go. Got it. Right? Maybe uh, a few furious masturbation sessions on a, at a screen to get back to your video game with that little uh, shift of dopamine is the new normal. Or it's the masturbation plus a bottle of vodka and sort of a bit of an upper to balance that out so you can focus more on your game.
2: Hmm.
1: Right, Because we're trying to control our state and, and our, our mind's need to reach into the world to affect something in a, in a way that means something to us.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, if it becomes less meaningful, I would think that would create kind of a depression.
1: Yeah. And that's, again, more existential pain. I can't mm-hmm. even solve how to feel comfortable in my own home anymore because my modeling tells me it's going to happen through screens or alcohol or something or something outside of me. So, I, I better start reaching or I better start, you know, altering my physiology and chemistry in some way because, again, that's our society's model is, oh, if you don't feel well, you take a pill.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, if you want to feel better, you drink a bottle.
2: Mm-hmm. If you
1: want to do this, you do that. And, you know, I'm not just slamming our culture. I'm just trying to lay it out for, for us as adults, again, mm-hmm. trying to find a way to collaborate with a completely different society, which is people under 20, you know, or 20, probably under 25, mm-hmm. um, who, for them, screens are how you solve problems. So they can't be problems.
0: Wow, interesting. That's something that I have to wrap my my mind around because it's totally different from the way I've been uh, looking at it. That's
1: because you and I have no right to be having this conversation <laughs> outside mm-hmm. of uh, uh, you know sharing our best possible understanding and and opportunities to change this, which is where the conversation's going. Right. But I'm I'm just trying to help people kind of take a step back, and you know, it's like th- this this isn't. You know, age doesn't make you somehow an authority on something. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it may. It's possible. But it's not an automatic thing. Right. Right. And the, the world has become very lateral. I mean... You know religion doesn't really make the same kind of sense to people in the modern world because you can look at all the other three thousand religions who have exactly the same ratio of worldview, which is I have a story that tells me the answer, and you're wrong although' there are, there's three thousand other versions of the same effort by humans to control their environment through belief
2: mm-hmm.
1: so as 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 you know religion is is a diminishing thing in civilization in modern civilization because it doesn't solve any problem for anybody right now in, in mm-hmm. the way that it used to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And although it brings families together and churches together if you're allowed to gather in some way, but <laughs> right. I'm just saying that most people's response to the world now is very lateral. It's very on the planet. And right now the planet is connected through the internet. Right. So we, we have to find a way to, to use that utility uh, as skillfully uh, and as caringly as you know we can and as wisely as we can with with what we know, but we, we can't just make it good or bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're
1: saying. You know, and that's why I bring up the context of proactive use and reactive use, because it gives all of us a beginning to have a conversation with children over eight. Under eight years old, the, you, there's a whole bunch of things the brain can't do. Okay. So trying to use abstract thinking and symbolism and metaphor before a kid is, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old is difficult. Is, uh, just confounding and, and, and creates anxiety in kids because, you know, they assume you know that they're a kid and they assume that you know how to talk to a kid. So if you're using some abstract metaphor to a five-year-old, they're they're, they're just in pain going, oh, my God, I'm there's something wrong with me. I don't know why this adult, uh, you know, interaction with me is so uncomfortable because you would assume a adult would know how to talk to a five-year-old. <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Although, is there a manual for that? I mean,
1: you know, I think... Growing up in a large enough family that you get it, you No? Know? Like, and that's another thing is, uh, I want, I really wish there was some magic word that we could all say. You know, it's like playing tag or something. Okay, reset. We're all going to start a brand new game, and the rules are kind of being determined as we play the game, because for the last twenty years or so, society has changed uh, so dramatically and and so profoundly. The children going up in it are growing up in as close to a different world as, as we can imagine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So again, okay. those of us who are trying to figure out how to do this well, the first thing is we have to realize we have to join their world to make sense to them. Mm. doesn't mean we have to spend more time on screens. We just have to change our opinions about it because your opinions are irrelevant.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds kind of like what you're saying is instead of trying to drag them into our world, we need to join them in their world in some way.
1: Well, we need to sit beside them long enough to actually have them trust us enough again to trust themselves enough again that they don't need self-soothing to get through an afternoon alone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Because that's, that's again, this this thing about addiction and existential pain is until you can trust you have capacities within yourself to handle that pain you're going to soothe it right so it's it's about bringing the context about proactive and reactive use up uh and, and then finding ways to make the distinction clear and then make the reactive choices more experimental and experiential and collaborative because you you don't as parents we've gotten into this weird managerial relationship with our kids we manage their upbringing
2: mm-hmm
1: you know, in a way, and, and we really need, I think, to spend more time with them. Now, this is, I'm not trying to get too far afield here, but uh, I have a First Nations background and mm-hmm. uh, work with elders sometimes, and there was an elder I used to work with 30 years ago, and she had said that you only need one word to raise children well. Okay. What do you think that word is? Love? Yeah, that that's like an instinctual state, so... <laughs> <laughs> It's a word too, but but I mean, that it doesn't change anything. We all love our kids. So the word that she said was with. With. Mm-hmm. So when my son was born, uh, it was about with because that was the only advice that I felt that I had any use for. So, when, and as an example, it came to time to teach him to tie his shoes. We went shoe shopping.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we could try on a lot of different shoes. Mm hmm. So that we could sit there beside each other, with each other, learning to tie shoelaces together with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Right? Because mm-hmm. it's a, mm-hmm. people naturally learn through modeling, right? So right. if we do things with people, uh, there's that. I think you and I had this conversation a year or two ago <laughs> on a podcast. Um, sorry, I'm a, I have a freaky memory. Um, <laughs> Lucky you. Or, yeah. <laughs> Um, which I just gapped on for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just another example of how to do things with your kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, no, it was this. I remember. So, okay. So here's another example of with that has to do with screens. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a really powerful one because say uh, a certain number of my patients are single mothers. Okay, And we all live in the Kootenays. So let's just take a step back and admit that we all have a predictable perspective about certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least some of us are. Um, and the conversation we were having, you and I were having, was about uh, kids in video games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my response was, well, if you're a single mom and your kid is self-soothing with a video game, you should learn to play that game with them. Mm-hmm. So I tell that to all of my patients because it's the most effective way to stop the, the winning, losing context of of trying to raise your kids because you're you're just there on a couch shooting bad guys or trying to solve puzzles or whatever the game is about with them Mm -hmm. so when you have an opinion about the game at least the, the opinion is about an experience not just about playing video games
0: well that would that would help because from my perspective it's a waste of time
1: yeah. And again, some of us have to realize we have no right to have opinions about things because we don't have any experience of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So that's that's what I mean by the manager part of parenting. Right.
0: But what I what I mean is, for me, it's a waste of time. So if if I could look at it differently as a way to spend time with, yeah. that makes it more acceptable for me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and again, the word "acceptable" is a very managerial perspective about how to raise children.
0: <laughs> well, at my age, it's kind of you know, I'm I'm definitely more managerial. <laughs>
1: yeah, and and again, I'm just and I'm not trying to shame anybody or poke fun at you, Janine. <laughs> or are friends. I'm just saying, like, we have to step back and recognize we're running with a program that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's causing existential pain in people.
2: <laughs>
1: we're creating a society of addicts. Right. How, how many people are on pharmaceuticals do you just feel better
2: mm-hmm right mm-hmm.
1: so so I'm, I'm I'm really passionate about this because the solution is so simple make it your family's culture to do animal things together like sports like physical play
2: mm-hmm
1: Right. Make it a thing that you you you, it's where we were just a family who we cycle or ski or we climb or we hike or we swim or we do martial arts or we do something that doesn't have some weird add on to it in the sense of like a spiritual practice like yoga. If you want to do stretches, it's about stretchy. It's not about anything else Mm because kids don't know how to handle anything else. There's three parts to people. If you can have an animal body instinctual way to participate with your kids inside, outside, upside down, wherever, anywhere, um, that becomes a part of their modeling. Mm-hmm. They may have a preference about, but I want to watch a show or I want to do this. It's like, yeah, yeah, well, you can do that when we come home.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: there's, I'm not saying no, I'm saying yes, and.
0: Yes, yes, I
1: hear you. Or yes, when, because of a yes, with.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I know in my, in my family, we used to, once or twice a week, we'd play dominoes after dinner.
1: So that, that's not really an instinctually dynamic thing, but it's a great example of the second part, which is the intuitive, visceral, social, instinctual body, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's the biggest harm that happens with, with screens. And, and I can get into the science of that in a sec, but mm-hmm. uh, sitting at the dinner table, actually having meals together every night
2: mm-hmm.
1: without screens.
2: Mm-hmm
1: as our family, it's our culture to actually have this, this uh, necessary dynamic conversational you know, experience. But if you're a parent and you're like, yeah, let's sit down and eat. I'm just going to catch up on my emails while you guys talk. Uh, okay, great modeling there, dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that, that, again, from a manager point of view, as, as a parent, we create a, uh, an emotional split between us and the need for connection because we, we're not seeking connection. We're seeking outcome because we're managing something like an expectation mm.
2: mm-hmm.
1: right so so until we're down here on the ground you know picking things up off the floor with each other and, and actually engage with each other we're, we're not with our kids we're, we're at our kids we're talking at, at them right mm-hmm. mm. so i just, I just want to bring up a little bit of a science thing because i don't want to make this a three-hour podcast so people can kind of look something up and get into this. Okay. There, there's a part of us that, in my experience, is the big, biggest source of existential pain. And it's the biggest source of addiction because addiction is about pain. So for those of you who are kind of turned on by this and really want to like dig in and do the best you can for yourself and your family, we need to all learn about your polyvagal nervous system. Mm, mm-hmm right and that part of your nervous system is the balance between the fight or flight instinctual animal 200,000 year old programs that are running in your nervous system that you cannot change unless you spend a decade training every day right so mm-hmm. so so that that's going on in your 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 nervous system but there's a forward facing part of that survival nervous system that reaches through your diaphragm up into your face it's part of your polyvagal nervous system and your solar plexus that actually on one level produce your facial expressions they produce your tone of voice how sarcastic or how meaningful you're speaking right now Um, how easy you are to humor or easy you are to anger Mm -hmm. The way you use facial expressions, eye contact, uh, all of that, because humans read that stuff in in, in a way that's bigger than what you say. And last time I did that research, it was a long time ago. So it was between 61 and 65% of all the information passed between two people having a conversation was information passed through body language, facial expression, tone of voice. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Right now, you and I are recording a podcast and I'm looking at my floor talking into a headset. <laughs> so, I I mean, I can hear your, your beautiful laugh and, and things like that. So, I can, on an instinctual level, feel like there's an openness to the conversation because, you know, you had a giggle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if I got really serious and started swearing a lot and, you know, making statements about, you know, how wrong people your age are and blah, 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 the conversation would feel a lot different, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Right. right, not just because of what I'm saying, but because of how I'm saying it. Right, right. S- so this is the biggest wound of screens. So if you take a kid, uh, a child who's spent their entire life being soothed by screens,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they can sometimes be mis- misdiagnosed superficially as being autistic. Mhm, mhm. Because they don't read body language, facial expressions, and tone of voice like most of their peers do and that's diminishing every year interesting so when we as adults and i've had this conversation with my son i've had this conversation with countless parents and children in my clinic at the same time and we're all trying to figure something out together when i i mean i'm a very physically expressive person Mm -hmm. so i move my hands around i use my (laughs) eyebrows i make goofy faces i use all my Make make up voices and characters for people,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, and and that kind of a thing, because that's, I guess, just, you know, uh, maybe how my childhood went or something. But if I'm overtly animistic Mm -hmm. with my body language and overly fun with my facial expressions and how big my eyes get or narrow my eyes get and how crazy my voice gets when I'm trying to share a story or a metaphor with someone or have a conversation with my child or someone else, they're actually having a hard time hearing what I'm saying because of the amount of somatic noise, because they're more familiar with two-dimensional faces that just talk. Oh, interesting. Or they're used to watching people in two dimensions on TikTok or YouTube or all the other Snapchats. Or I, I honestly have no idea. I'm a bit of a dinosaur. But um, I'm aware from a physiological, neurological point of view that their polyvagal awareness is blunted. They actually are offended and feel danger when people are too overtly, I'm not sure what the term is, uh, in the sense of gesture. So Mm -hmm. if you're you're a gesture-driven communicator, you're actually terrifying some people because they think you're mad at them. Oh, interesting. Or that you're actually losing control of yourself because you don't look like all the two-dimensional faces that they have used to solve every problem in an immediate sense their entire life. So your chaos craziness is making them uncomfortable because you could probably just point them to a video to solve the problem and they could watch that and understand what you mean
0: because
1: uh-huh. that's comfortable for them. That's uh-huh. instinctually their vibe. They grew up on a spaceship or something in the sense of they're not instinctual cave dwelling animals who hoot and bangs you know rocks with sticks when the thunder crashes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So we're dealing with instinctual things that are changing at an accelerative rate that it says obviously never happened before. Interesting. So, so I'm going to go deeper into that experience. Okay. So let's say I, I'm a kid. I'm six or seven years old. Like any other curious, healthy primate, I want to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Now, pre-internet, my only access to problem solving was you, mom. Mm-hmm. So now the conditioning, the patterning, the cultural stuff that gets transmitted, uh, the soothing opportunities, the way in which patience works, because you might have to wait until mom goes to the library to get the book, to come home, to find the thing that answers mm-hmm. the question because it was a really cool question and no one knows the answer, but mm-hmm. we'll figure it out together, Billy. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, there's a whole different relationship with existentially, like, you know, almost like upper chakra, existentially. Humans have the binoculars that they need to be able to predict the world. So mm-hmm. if my way to predict the world and solve problems is, hey, mom, uh, what the hell is astrophysics? Mm-hmm oh well, uh, okay well first we need to talk about a solar system and i need a picture of that and you know so so now we're collaborating and they trust you or me or you know their uh-huh. parent because you're the source of problem solving mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're the example of how that happens oh you go to a library and you get a book oh wow that's good to know holy cow a library book put that in the hard drive of my brain mm-hmm. gotta have one of those <laughs> mm-hmm. so if i go back to being five or six years old and you're my mom If that's okay. Sure. (laughs) Role playing. (laughs) Um, And my entire life has been entertainment, soothing, confirmation bias, connections, social uh, alignments. And everything has happened with something in my hand that's two dimensional. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to solve a problem and I look up and say, hey, mom, what's uh, how do you spell astrophysics? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, uh, 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 in just a sec, I'll get a pen. I type that into a computer. You no longer matter, mom, because mm-hmm. you're, you're not the be-all source all of anything. So when I think of my existential binoculars from an evolutionary adaptive point of view, from a growing up child psychology point of view, my parents are irrelevant managers who just piss me off most of the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting. They might not
1: spell a word, but that's about, that's about as useful as you are as how to spell a word. Mm-hmm and where yeah. the hell's my f- and i want to eat this now cuz i saw a cooking show and it was awesome so like this is the real world and what are you doing
2: mhm
1: cuz the 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 vaster lateral horizontal network of the internet is the world it is the truth it is god it is the answers it is everything so our existential crisis for children is parents don't matter parents are a pain in the ass So if we can't trust them and use their modeling, we're in pain because we have no idea how to fit into the world except through a screen because that's the world. Wow. And, I mean, for me as a parent, I was very tactical about Mm -hmm. screens and television and video games and whatever. My son's a young man. He's uh, just finished his first year of university. You know, we get along pretty well for the most part as, Mm as, you know, and sons go, uh, given ages and things like that. But when he was young, I mean, we spent more time outside on purpose, learning skills I learned as a kid because I grew up in the bush. I was teaching wilderness survival, so I dragged him along to wilderness survival camps to learn to rub sticks together. And,
2: Mm -hmm. you know, uh,
1: I'm making this up at nine years old. My son... And I went into a the, the firewood uh, shed and we took a piece of uh, an axe and we chopped up a piece of wood and another piece of wood and we make a made a fire starting kit. And at nine years old, he built a fire starting kit and started a fire with sticks and then put the sticks in the fire because that's a First Nations kind of ceremony for people who want to learn about fires, is to go into the world, make a fire kit, make a fire, burn the kit as proof that you and fire are kind of allies now. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I'm just saying... That, I mean, that might be like way off the top for somebody in a city uh, of things to consider doing with your kids. But I'm just using a personal example of we didn't rely on screens for adventures.
2: Mm hmm. Right.
1: Rely on screens for connection because his friends had video games and he wanted to try them. I said, okay, we'll get a really 1980s simple crappy video game to start with. It's like beep, 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 boink,
2: mm-hmm. just
1: to see it, what happened to his relationship with the game and the screens. And they're not that fun. They're not that complicated. So it was quite, kind of boring quickly compared to what his friends had. Mm-hmm. So it was, yes, we'll do that and it'll be boring. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: And then as he got older, he's like, come on, Dad, I know better here. We're not buying this crap. If we're going to get a video game, can we can get, get a real one. So we got a bigger you know, console. And that was the day that uh, him and his, um, me and his mom had had that conversation about, if we're going to have a game in the house, then we play it together.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: So I learned how to play video games and, mm-hmm. and it was fun and, and we laughed and we played and we solved problems together. We learned about spatial awareness together. It wasn't that much difference, honestly, in certain ways neurologically than going hunting for, for I don't know, animal sign in the forest and remembering how to do that if we were to set up traps. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up a thousand years ago, so just pretend that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I it, that's one of the frustrating things for me is like everybody's at their everybody's at their screen and doing their own thing.
1: I'm like, I'm just, I'm saying that from a neurological point of view, yeah, But from a neurological point of view, for him and I sitting there on a, on a couch together, taking turns going through a computer-generated maze, trying to remember where all the places are to make the pieces fit together to solve a problem, mm-hmm. engages the same part of the brain that requires spatial awareness enough to go and find animal sign and then build traps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm just saying video games aren't 100% negative. It depends on what games you play and how you use them and whether or not you're doing it with someone. With someone, right. Right. Can help yeah. you engage in the experience of problem solving instead of the video game being the problem solving of connection. Mm-hmm. Go play your game. I'm going to manage this environment and make you craft dinner. Mm-hmm. I'm a great parent because mm-hmm. I got my own stuff to deal with because I'm in existential pain too. So, bah. right, and I'm not. I'm trying not to mock everybody because I mean I've been there myself. So, it's at some point we all need to take a few steps back and and, and look at the the attrition uh to these people's lives who are are you know are used to, we used to have the expression of uh door lock kids or lock key kids or something like that what latch is that key, expression latchkey kids yeah latchkey mm-hmm. kids right mm-hmm. so what's the difference between latchkey kids and video game kids or screen addicted kids mm-hmm. they're alone kids they're in pain kids Mm-hmm. They're human animals that require connection to trust the world and trust themselves. If we blunt their polyvagal development to the point where they find normal human mannerisms threatening, well, I mean, I'm not calling that brain damage, but I'm calling that a kind of harm that needs to be recovered. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. The solution is, okay. is to make sure at the dinner table or playing, what was it, backgammon you guys used to play? or something? Oh, uh, dominoes. <laughs> dominoes. So, you know, you, you have this thing where you're all in it together and you're all playing for the, whatever the outcome of the game is, but there's nothing two-dimensional going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? And the outcome is dependent on our ability to collaborate socially. Right, mm-hmm. so we get to trust ourselves as children, as social beings who can be more risky, more overt, more shy, uh, more tricky. You know, after eight years old, kids start lying because that part of the brain pops open, so they're going to play that kind of risky stuff, and and they can they'll get busted, and then they'll they'll get normalized sort of lying and manipulative behavior because they had to get socialized in that way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There, there's there's no reins on that on on, on a screen. You know, right. you you can completely. I don't know, insecure, narcissistic, manipulative person and keep developing those tendencies because you're never dealing with an actual person who's going to call you on it. Interesting. So, I mean, that's where the biggest harm is. So picnics, screen-free time, screen-free connection-driven participation. You know, and that's why I think stretching on the floor or doing something physical together, you get two, call them chakras with one, one practice.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, instead of
1: two birds with one stone. By finding ways to physically interact with your children as social time as well as, you know, body time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I You, know, you I, know, what
0: do you do when they don't want, like, I've tried to get them to, like, come outside with me and help me in the garden. But, you know, they'd rather sit in front of their screen.
1: Then you're going to have to play it out as a sequence. Play what? Play it out as a sequence. Mm. Find a recipe that has this in it that you really want to try and make together tonight for supper.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And they're like, oh, okay, I'll go and do that because that gives me a yes and with screens.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're doing the confirmation bias thing. You know, you could even be sitting beside them, looking at the screen together going, what do you want to make carrot cake with the carrots? Do you want to make uh carrot souffle? Do you want to make uh carrot and deal with, you know, maple syrup? Do you want to, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want to make? Let's, let's look at recipes. Oh, okay, great. And you now had a collaborative experience. There's maybe body language and tone of voice and really big smiley facial expressions going on about all the great things you can do with carrots. And great. Do you want to come outside with me and get some carrots and then wash them off so we can make supper? Mm-hmm. So now there's a sequence of things of collaboration. And uh, I mean, I feel like I'm a manip- manip- manipulative bastard in saying what I'm <laughs> saying. But that, that's the non-managerial relationship of parents, which is I have to collaborate and connect. Mm -hmm. I can't I can't tell I can't uh, expect I expect my kids to want to do this stuff because I kind of felt like I wanted to do it as a kid but did you want to do that as a kid or did you have to Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right so we're we're trying to project a have to over a what to over a I would rather you know and and we get all this confusion going on between us and our kids because we expect them to want what we used to have to do (laughs) that was like a chore
0: Mm, yeah, that's a good point.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, so we're like three three layers of separation about meaning and 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 the truth of what's going on. So, if we step back and go, how can I get this kid into the garden?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's not really about the garden. It's about with. Mm-hmm. So, what else can I do? That's a sequence of with that produces an outcome that says yes and to screens and yes and to making supper together. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, well, let's learn about the vegetables we have that are coming up right now, let's look at recipes we can make with those things in them and then go and do it together. Mm -hmm. Because the thing we're trying to solve isn't no screens. It's how do we collaborate and spend more time in polyvagal connection and meaning together. Mm -hmm. Because the manager parent is like, how do I get these kids to leave the screens alone? Well, I mean, the big solve would be an EMP because then there's no electricity. Right. (laughs) But then we all don't get to play. So not early to solve. So we have to, again, get out of the manager mind
2: and mm-hmm. go, what
1: can we experience together that it has no use for screens, but begins with screens and ends with screens?
2: Because mm-hmm.
1: we could Instagram the meal we made and put it up on the Internet together. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, wouldn't that be a day, Janine? Mm. Let's. Let's pick a plant. Let's pick a recipe. Let's go and get it. Let's go and make it. Let's take a picture of it. Let's high-five each other, fist bumps and, you know, bum-shaking dances because it was about doing something together, not about screens. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you feel about, like, just turning the internet off for a few hours or four hours or whatever during the day so that everybody... It's a very
1: managerial decision to make.
0: I know. I know. <laughs> But it, it does also kind of force, I mean, I know like we've done it sometimes and then, you know, the kids, they go outside and they do
1: stuff. And Yeah, yeah. So Janine, I'm going to force you to do something, okay? Okay. You need to do 100 push-ups a day from now on. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because I can't. <laughs> it's not about that. This is black and white. It's on or off.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm the authority here, right? I'm the mm-hmm. parent. I'm managing yep. you. Yeah. I just, I made a distinction. It's, it's four hours a day. Hundred push-ups a day—it's whatever BS you want to throw at people and assume that they're not going to laugh in your face for trying to be a—I don't know—ranch hand and they're the cow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> if mm-hmm. You're not. If you're not. So if if we take a step back and we look at the instinctual human being in the child, mm-hmm. called lower chakra stuff, mm-hmm. the intuitive, emotional, polyvagal, social human that's in that child that's experiencing everything you do subconsciously and and then you know we look at the brain and the existential mind that's predicting and trying to find truth and meaning in the world because that's what humans are doing if I actually look at that and recognize I'm responsible for the outcome of all of that and the input of all of that mm-hmm. and the best way I can do that is actually backwards in time okay where we're all at the dinner table together, we do fun things, call them chores, but fun things together that mm-hmm. matter, mm-hmm. and all of this other stuff, then then we're actually raising a person to become a person on three levels, consciously or not.
2: Mm.
1: And if we're not attending to those three different aspects of that person, when they leave the house, you know, um, they're going to solve that need in hopefully functional ways, but More than likely than not in in dysfunctional ways because they've been disoriented to the world because they've been managed, Mm -hmm. told what to do. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So what I'm really speaking to is their authentic autonomy. Okay. So as a child, did you get what you would consider respect and honoring for your authentic autonomy from every adult?
0: Mm, Most of the time.
1: Really? Really? Mm-hmm. You were never punished. You were never bullied. You were never harassed, manipulated, lied to, coerced, convinced. I
0: was never bullied. Um well, my parents were pretty straightforward.
1: Right. So, so maybe that's why you're who you are. In in the sense of, I think you're pretty cool. So, in the sense, <laughs> of, uh, you know, you you kind of have a lot of things together in yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm just asking you to consider the authentic autonomy of children who one raise up in environments without a lot of other children
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: I and mean, it used to be 12 kids per family. Now it's one or two. So I... their, pol- pol- their polyvagal, you know, opportunities are very narrow. Interesting. Their, their chance to figure out their autonomy and their place in, in, in a group of 10 people or whatever, you know, whatever the number would be, uh, wow. is narrow. Mm -hmm. And now now we have one or two kids and our kids are taking time away from each other because two or three kids has done, I don't know, it's like a war, (laughs) (laughs) you know, for supremacy and they're going to all split off and do their own thing. Right. I've been talking to a lot of parents who just spent two and a half months in a house uh, homeschooling their kids, kids of different ages stuck dealing with each other, having to spend time together, uh, realizing there's a limit to screens and toilets in the world somehow magically all of a sudden
2: because <laughs> mm,
1: mm-hmm. we're, we're all in the same space together. Right. And, and the cha- challenges people are facing, the wins people are creating, uh, the wisdom that people are, are re- receiving and, and generating because we're all stuck in the same place has been powerful and profound. Because we're all stuck in the same same place with each other. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And the game is, are we going to honor each other's other's authentic autonomy, uh, whatever the age is, whatever the experience, whatever the day is, or are we going to manipulate and manage them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kids can't help not manipulate each other in a way, but adults can right so sure. we all have to slow things way way down and start making sequences of experiences and behaviors that become the cultures of our family
2: mhm
1: cuz as, as much as right now you and i are having a conversation about you know who at least our kids are older <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and in the sense of you and i uh-huh but we're also having a conversation to try and help a lot of people right now in 2020 post covid paranoia and stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh you know when we can come to that for a couple of minutes might be a good idea
2: mm-hmm.
1: with with a completely different perspective but you and i's conversation is also about those children's children
2: right right
1: and and for me as a clinician who's trying to help people understand big picture stuff that's the biggest terrifying gut-wrenching butterflies chewing on my liver experience that i have is i know how addicted to screens i can be
2: mm-hmm. i know
1: how addicted to screens. People my son's age can be. I know what that looks like in twenty years based on some basic uh, statistics and math, but I don't really know. I'm just predicting to the best of my ability, and it looks terrifying.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And then Cause... you've got you've got uh, kids who become adults who have spent their life on screens, and then they're bringing up children, yeah. and that's all they know.
1: And by then, do you think school will just be at home through a screen?
0: Oh God, that sounds horrible. I, I so, mean,
1: sociologically, it's terrifying. Yeah, but economically, it's a huge win. mm Hmm.
0: But then you're not getting the socialization, and
1: well, that, that's why I said sociologically, yeah. it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to like put this whole conversation in perspective is it isn't about how to get through the weekend with your kid, although it is, Mm -hmm. it's about recognizing we're responsible for the next generation and we're not taking responsibility for it. We're managing it. So we're having Mm -hmm. instead of a proactive relationship with this problem, we're having a reactive relationship with it, which is sneaky as I am why I started the conversation that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you can't solve a reactive problem by reacting to it.
0: Well, and I'll be honest, that's what I've been doing.
1: Right. So so let's just drop the bomb of COVID on the conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go back to being that six-year-old. And I grew up the way six-year-olds grew up today, looking at screens, two-dimensional friends and realities and answers to everything if I can find someone to help me spell astrophysics. (laughs) And then everything on the screens are about social isolation, about maybe millions of people dying. About, mm-hmm. who it's mostly the old people who die. I'm a young person. I'm going to probably be okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm also six years old and have no way to mentally or emotionally or instinctually handle the consequences of what I'm predicting in my head. Mm-hmm. And I look at mom, and mom's shit in her pants. Oops, pardon me. Mom's poop in her pants. <laughs> Uh, about all the consequences she sees coming. So now it's more screen to you, Billy, because you're more of a distraction right now from life and death stuff I have to figure out through a screen. Mm -hmm. So now the polyvagal setting for that child is, this is now a life or death relationship with the screen. Mm -hmm. And my parents are useless as parents because they have no idea what they're doing. Wow. So now trusting them to solve this completely abstract very adult problem to a six-year-old is more reliance, more clutching, more proximity to my screen device. Because, oh, my God, you take that away from me. It's me and you versus an apocalypse, and you're an idiot. Wow. Because you're not the person I'm used to seeing to solve problems. You're the person who can spell better. mm right? Mm-hmm. So until we can actually like embody the experience of a six-year-old and really feel it through and get where they're coming from, we have no right to be having this conversation <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the sense that we, we should just figure out the answer and Dr. Smith will know, we'll have the answer and we can manage this. And I'm like, um, if there's one place in the world that's the really wrong question, it's this conversation for sure. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I just want to be clear, Jean, I'm not suggesting that's your perspective at all. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to for everyone who listens to podcasts to hopefully find a quick answer to something, I challenge you to feel like a six-year-old with a screen, white-knuckled in your hands, in an environment where there's catastrophic global problems you can't even understand, and the people who you instinctually need to rely on to do this are doing the same thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and then, you know, I mean, I, I also see that there's, they're getting then this constant stream of information that's making them even more fearful.
1: Yeah. And they have the power of spelling. So they can keep digging deeper into, <laughs> you know, the 17 windows they have on or tabs they have on, on whatever computer they're on because humans are like that. We have binoculars. We're always trying to, like, guide our way through, you know, the terrain that we're in to get to a better place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So that, that's our biggest sc- sort of skill in a way. But it's also our biggest source of pain. Because we don't have the animal instinctual needs met. We don't have the social polyvagal kind of needs met and trust ourselves and trust the people around us. The only thing we have left is a screen because it's our binoculars into how to get to a terrain that makes sense to us. So it's know, a big, crazy track. <laughs> it is scary. It's I mean, physiologically terrifying, neurologically terrifying, immune system terrifying, pineal uh, or, pardon me, uh, dopamine and melatonin terrifying. Right, because we're, we're, we're doing something that has physiological impact as well as sociological impact, as well as immediate managing your kids' impact.
2: Right,
1: right. You know, so so it's not turn them off. It's sit down and sit with your kids, start having really meaningful, hopefully physically animate conversations with them so they can learn to get comfortable with body language again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then try and s- solve it without telling them how to solve it. Because they're probably in 10 years going to have more insight about this than we are. mmm but you can't you can't have a collaborative relationship with someone you manage. I mean, we can go more into any any particular part of the, you know, the brain you want or specific aspects of anything else you want to talk about. But I just really wanted to make sure that I could give anyone listening to this a way of seeing ourselves as three selves with three different kinds of needs and that the part of us that we're the most comfortable with is riding a terrified horse depending on the amount of trauma you've experienced instinctually. Mm -hmm. We're walking around uh, on the shoulders of a primate uh, or a cow person because I like cow persons cowboys and girls because their music is all about how bad social lives can go (laughs) so these are instincts to 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 help us feel that we can instinctually trust ourselves on an animal level and on a social level and those Mm -hmm. things are being broken Mm -hmm. in ourselves and in our kids and there's no one to blame we just have to shift what it is that we rely on for our our health our well-being our sense of self-trust self-awareness even self-love so that our response to pain isn't self-soothed through anything Mm -hmm. because addiction is addiction it doesn't matter if it's a screen or chanting right you know right. so, so I think that' that's, that's, that's my message to every one of my patients is let's just reset this from managing your diagnosis to learning about how your body works mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and maybe how nutrition works and maybe how breath work works and maybe how vitamins work and or Chinese herbs work and you know what acupuncture can do because they're collaborative experiences mm-hmm. We do them together
2: right Right.
1: <laughs> that's why the word doc- doc- the word doctor actually means teacher of common sense.
0: Mm. Oh, I like that teacher of common sense. Mm-hmm. I think we've gotten away from that. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs>
1: yeah, you want to see someone managing health? Go to a doctor, and they'll tell you what pill you need.
0: Right? Yeah, exactly. And then I have to say, uh, I don't think so.
1: <laughs> and that's that's in a way. Think 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 of a child's relationship with a parent as the same way you experience going to the doctor.
0: Mm. Oh no, that's an interesting. Uh because
1: mm-hmm. you're not going to get what you want are you because the computer already has that figured out <laughs> believe me as a doctor Dr. Google has become a really interesting fellow to share my clinic
0: with <laughs> mm. yeah interesting
1: right because you know depending on a person's research and patients they may or may not have the information they need right you know but that's still us reaching out to try and get a managing k- kind of confirmation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when we're trying to solve our health by going online, it's 50-50. You're going to end up in a situation where someone's just trying to sell you something. Yes.
0: <laughs> I'd say it's a, a higher percentage than that. But
1: <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, but notice that the relationship is very similar to going to your doctor's office.
0: Because
1: mm. you're not looking for a sequence of things to participate in. You're looking for something you can swallow. Mm-hmm or buy. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to go too far from the point I'm trying to make because it's sort of like a parallel to the point I'm trying to make. Mm -hmm. The internet doesn't give you, unless you're actually talking to people like we are right now, Mm -hmm. uh, anything else than a doctor's office experience. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Okay. Where's the answer to that? How do you spell astrophysics? Mm -hmm. I, I, I need to put a this in a that to make something else happen. Mm-hmm. So there's an impatience, there's an urgency, and and there's again, we trust the internet more than people because it's faster.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's access to so much information, not yeah. all of which is accurate. But
1: well, no, but I, but again, and, and this is the hardest thing for parents to get is you're now your only talent remaining of value is you spell better.
2: <laughs> right? Well, if you're I... gonna,
1: if you're gonna, if you're going to do the distancing managerial version of parenting. Mm-hmm. Whereas if a child knows that there's an experiential opportunity that's going to happen if you go for a walk together, you cook some food together, there's a with thing and they need that instinctually, they'll reach out for that if it's available to them. Hmm. So we have to start creating and modeling environments in which that experience is uh, something they've had enough of Mm -hmm. to understand it, to have opinions about it, and to realize that it feels a certain way. Right. Right. So maybe after a year or two of trying different ways to physically connect, to socially connect with your kids without screens, um, they may eventually start asking, Mm want to go for a walk? Want to go play? Want to go do something else? Mm -hmm. Because their instincts are guiding them. If the opportunity is there, they'll take it. Got it. But in a screen-addicted parent versus a screen-addicted child, there's no opportunity there. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I can see for those of us who tend to have a managerial style, um, it would be good to rethink that.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's only good when they've done something really bad. <laughs> <laughs> For that first five minutes when they walk in the door and you're like, oh, my God, the consequences, we have to manage the consequences. <laughs> five minutes later, you're sitting on the couch crying about something really horrible that happened because you listen to them. But for that first few seconds, the instinct we have is to manage. Mm-hmm. But that's for like a few seconds to control the consequences of something catastrophic. Mm-hmm. It's not anything else Mm -hmm. and we miss so much as parents I don't know how many people I've talked to on their deathbeds that are like you know I completely missed having a relationship with my kids because I did what my parents did I tried to tell them what to do Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. no idea who they are they have no idea who I am and now I'm 92 years old and I'm dying Mm. and there's no way to get that back
0: yeah that's that's the problem isn't it there's no way to get it back
1: well, we, we value control sometimes over connection.
0: Oh, dear. <laughs> I probably have to put my hand up there. Well, if
1: but I mean, and I'm not putting that there to shame anyone. I mean, no. It's like a, a diagnostic invitation of like, if that feels true for you, the answer is connection. Obviously, yes.
2: hmm
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the obvious answer for all the children, too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. so that I mean, we there's so much technical fiddly bits that these conversations usually get into. I feel like I've done a bad job because <laughs> people always want the technical fun stuff. But <laughs> um, at the same time, you know, the conversations that I want to have with people on podcasts or on screens and stuff is about the instinctual harm that's being done.
2: Right. Right. And
1: the instinctual 1950s parenting thing that some of us are still carrying, that never worked.
2: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: So we can sort of, you know, have a better relationship with both of those conditions um, in the same way, you know. Right. We can't just blame screens and blame the Internet. Mm-hmm. We, we have to look at the physiological situation that's going on the instinctual situation going on the social situation that's going on the existential situation that's going on and care for those things through collaboration and connection
2: mm-hmm. because
1: if you do that you have a really normal well-adaptive and, and connected human being otherwise you have a person in existential pain mm-hmm. who is going to self-soothe for the rest of their lives until they meet some people who help them reorient themselves to a connected world
0: Yes. And, you know, and that's up for grabs, whether they will meet some people who can do that and help them with that or not. Maybe they're dysfunctional for the rest of their life. And...
1: Or maybe we can all collaborate through things like podcasts, which are on the Internet. <laughs> 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 to, to start making a, a, a conversation that we're allowed to laugh about mm-hmm. instead of trying to manage the consequences, serious, fault, blame, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Let's start asking our six years old. Okay, what do you want to make for supper that we can take a picture of to put on Instagram?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're like, "Ooh, ooh, this relates to God." I mean, the internet. I mean, the lateral network in which all things really important happen. Um, um, um. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you'll start to get to know that person, and they'll start to get to know themselves.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. Because you you can't get to know yourself as a social being looking at a screen.
0: No, that's true. That's true. So I I think I think one of the things for parents is, you know, the need to be more flexible in your thinking about this and and how you approach it.
1: Could I say a slightly different thing? Sure. I'm disagreeing with you. I would just like to voice my experience as a parent. Uh As a parent, we're in a catastrophic and cataclysmic disorientation of how to socialize as a human being. We're breaking our entire civilization and culture through passivity and the belief that we can manage people instead of meet them. Mm -hmm. It scares me more than all the damage this virus could do if it hung around for decades. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Right? Mm -hmm. This is the serious problem we face as a civilization. Existential pain is the thing that turns people off. We're turning our entire world off.
2: Oh.
1: it's terrifying but it's a utility and if we choose to use it in balance with normal human, you know, experience and behavior based on 200,000 years of humans, uh, we're going to be okay. We we just can't be impatient managers about it. We have to really sit down on the floor together and listen to young people tell us, you know, how they think that would look. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and really begin it as a conversation. And to find ways, maybe through cartoons, to play out the example of the difference between Billy, uh, who has a balanced screen life and a proactive screen relationship, and Billy, who has a very dysfunctional and reactive relationship with screens, and to play that out for people because people learn through modeling and storytelling. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you and I had a million dollars, we could say, let's make a cartoon where these two twins are split at the age of six months, and they meet again at twelve, and they had a very different proactive or reactive relationship with screen time, mm-hmm. and how they reconnect at some point, and and actually try and connect, you know, as human beings, maybe a, a great story to unravel that uh, construct we have in the world right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean that that's. That's the thing. It's either a proactive relationship that's healthy or it's not. And mm-hmm. so, so many of us, it's not. Right. Wow. It doesn't matter if you're six or 60, it can be really a negative relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Michael, this has been an eye opener for me. And uh, I, I hope it is for a lot of listeners, especially. Those who have children, which probably most people do, um, but especially those who have young children and are unhappy with their home life, what they're seeing, you know, the amount of screen time. And hopefully this can give some people a kick in the butt to think about doing things
1: differently and trying something different. Make it a sequence, make it a cooperation. Mm-hmm. I just had an image in my mind as you were saying that Uh, Thinking, because again, I think about single moms and kids, because that's sort of our higher at-risk population around Mm -hmm. mental health. Mm -hmm. I just had a picture of some mom and her kid, you know, and she's aware, oh my God, I've got to get this screen addiction handled. Lying on a bed, looking at a screen together, playing a game together Mm -hmm. as step one of the sequence. Right. And then step two, maybe finding something more interactive to do, Um, where there's sort of a taking of turns of uh, what happens with the screen. And then maybe a sequence where instead of doing this on a screen, let's do this uh, coloring thing on a coloring book so that we can both sit here, same place, sitting in bed, but let's color the coloring book together you know, to, to recognize you can have a very similar rea- relationship with a two-dimensional object that's actually physically real and isn't driving your brain in, in five different directions at once, and it's happening with the person next to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, it's there's a thing we call an addiction treatment called harm reduction, where you, you keep doing the activity, you just keep changing the amount and the context of it until other opportunities make sense to the visceral pain you're experiencing to handle your, 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 uh, or the, the visceral pain you're experiencing that drives you to addictive behavior. So now you have other options, mm-hmm. but you can't just tell people, oh, you know, you, you got other options, eh? It's like, right. Well, sure. That's five steps away from my brain right now. So mm-hmm. you're, you're not even, you're not even talking to me. You're talking at me. Right. Right. So again, if you, if we can start recognizing, we have to sit beside the person, collaborate with what they're doing change what they're doing with us so that it the interaction becomes shared with the screen you get to do your part i get to do my part that's why playing video games with kids is so powerful because only one person has the control device mm-hmm. so they get to watch you play then you watch them play mm-hmm. so so now you're a part of the experience It's triangular and then then maybe playing a game that doesn't require a screen or a controller or in the same way mm-hmm. and then and then because and then, we have to kind of go into a dark place and rescue our kids step by step by step
2: right right
0: i would think puzzles would be a good a good
1: tool too. what, what, whatever whatever the sequence is we develop as long as it actually is something that their authentic autonomy agrees with step by step mm-hmm. they're learning to trust themselves and trust you more mm-hmm. and that's that's the thing that needs to change for sure
0: right
1: so I'm not, not to keep about blathering on. I just wanted to make sure people had like a tangible example in their mind.
0: Right. Oh no. I and that's something you're really good at. So <laughs> I've often, I've always felt you really excel at the examples and and really helping people to understand the concepts that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, it's it's my favorite thing to do is come up with a really weird metaphor that works.
0: (laughs) Well, you're good at it. (laughs) And it keeps the conversation really interesting. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, um, unless, I mean, we've covered a lot, unless there's something, it feels like that's a good wrap up point. This is going to be one of my longer podcast conversations, but it's also a really important one. So I think listeners will stick with it to the end.
1: Hope so. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks for reaching out. And uh, I really hope this helps people with a sense of perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I know it's going to help me. That's for sure. I can honestly say that because uh, yep. I've been feeling very stuck in this area and uh, I can see that I have to I have to change the way I do things and um, yeah, be more helpful.
1: Yep. Well, if I if I was to throw out anything, just change in the direction of width. Mm -hmm. and make it an adventure, and make it a sequence, and maybe make the win something that includes a screen. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can see for me, and I know a lot of other parents, the the tendency has been to just push it away, because you don't want the kids doing it. So, you know, you're not going to get involved in it at all, right? And that's, uh, well, it's obviously not working, so...
1: Is that a proactive or reactive situation? <laughs> it's reactive. <laughs>
0: you're such a brat. I like, <laughs>
1: feel like going boom You know, like as <laughs> long as we can laugh about it, we're going to be okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, you you can't you can't lose your sense of humor in all of this. It's you know you may for a short period of time, but you got to get it back. Otherwise, you're you're sunk, man. <laughs> So, Michael, how can people uh, get a hold of you, connect with you? What's the best way?
1: Uh, the easiest way would be to go to my website, and that's uh, autoimmunehealthsolutions.com. Wow,
0: that's long. <laughs> well, auto- once you
1: type it in once, you never have to type it in again. So.
0: <laughs> that's true. Okay, so auto, and this, there'll be a link on the podcast website too, of course, yeah. as always, yeah, yeah. but autoimmunehealthsolutions.com. Yep. Right.
1: So, so that's if you want to talk to me about something clinical. Okay. If you're a person who's interested in things like breathwork, meditation, qigong, Mm -hmm. and all that, I also have an online qigong training program for people. So, for those who want to like focus on a more embodied, experiential approach, Mm -hmm. that's called Soma Dao Qigong. S O M A D A O Q I G O N G dot com.
0: Okay. Maybe better spell that once more, just in
1: case. Okay. So yeah, it's soma dao qigong s o m a d a o qigong q okay. so, uh, yeah, i g o n g dot com. Okay, So yeah, because I guess just given our conversation, that that's the the thing I would encourage people to think about is whatever we can do that's gonna keep us in our bodies and in our breath and in in the moment is is probably a good idea because. Although I'm feeling a bit like a hypocrite because, honestly, uh, you learn most of that through a screen, so.
0: uh, (laughs) (laughs) But that's proactive, not reactive.
1: There you go. There you go. (laughs) Did I get that right? I'm learning. There we go. We're collaborating in a consensual way. Look at us go.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yay. Now we just have to do it with the kids. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, once again, thank you, Michael. I always enjoy our conversations and I, you know, they're always so relevant and I think they're, they're really, in fact, one of, uh, somebody I did a recording with not too long ago had referenced listening to our conversation, one of our conversations, I don't know which one, and uh, he was saying how much he enjoyed it and I like, I like having you on. Thank you. Well,
1: I'm glad that, uh, I don't know. Somehow together, we will make good communications happen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much once again. I really appreciate who you are. You too. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Michael Smith, for sharing your ideas and your experiences. Whether or not you have children living at home, this really does affect all of us. The podcast website is realjanine.com where you can listen to or download episodes and click on links to my guest information. And as always, remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to your favorite podcast provider and check out my podcast YouTube channel with video slideshows of my conversations if you prefer YouTube. Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Dr. Michael Smith? Of course you do please share with your family and friends. We'd all appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well.